Well, today is Valentine's Day. And most of us here, I think, have experienced this day as it is celebrated in North America with its commercials, commercial Valentine's Day cards, commercial commodity boxes of chocolate, roses and roses and more roses. I was the one time, I, I, not, so, not so long ago, I was the minister in Pasadena, California. <laughs> the Unitarian Universalist Church in Pasadena. And hyping the roses is a great, good reason to focus because that is what Pasadena does, is hype the roses. They grew the roses. They, 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 made, they sent the roses east. So to have a parade with floats and floats and floats of roses going down the street on January 1st, all to, to get attention, all to get attention to the Valentine's Day roses that they're going to sell and make lots and lots of money. Got to sell the roses. The last two decades, the specials uh, on uh, Valentine's Day has turned now to diamonds. Diamond pendants are available at your local jeweler. You should be giving diamonds for Valentine's Day now. Or, if you haven't noticed, Apple watches now have a heart motif. Got to get it now, it's not going to last. 190 million Valentine cards were bought last year, averaged out per capita spending over $100 a person. Public schools provide time for children to exchange cards with each other. And then there are the television specials. A lot of money to be made out of Valentine's Day. I don't think it will surprise anyone here that this holiday has somehow spread across the globe. Think of all the possibilities to sell stuff. The global market for the same cupids, the same iconic heart shape, the same enlisting of millions and the consumption of cards, the same, the same. Wait a second. Maybe we should check our privilege. But does every culture in the world have the same ideas about romantic love? Or about the same, do they think the heart looks the same on a greeting card? What is the appropriate expression of loving intent? I think we understand that the answer is no. Actually, other cultures don't quite understand what we're up to. Many people see the Valentine's holiday as a form of cultural colonialism. In India, there have been militant demonstrations against Valentine displays in stores. Left-wing intellectuals have denounced Valentine's Day as colonialism, an intentional plot to detach the working people from their community and in solidarity with one another, attaching them instead to hegemonic capitalist hierarchies. I, 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 that's a quote. I didn't make that up. Sounds like me, but <laughs> uh, that's right out. That's India. So I guess I'm an internationalist. All right. Uh, meanwhile, right-wing nationalists in the same country critique Valentine's Day as Western and degenerate, leading to a collapse of morals. 
In Malaysia, the government has blamed Valentine's Day for sexual licentiousness, pointed out that Valentine is a Christian saint, warning Muslims that exchanging gifts constitutes an infidelity. Saudi Arabia has banned Valentine's Day with the simple explanation that it's a saint. Now, some countries' response is less reactive and more co-optive. In Iran, Iran celebrates a Persian poet who wrote love poems. No kidding. Israel has revived a medieval Jewish folk holiday and focuses on heterosexual courting. Most of the Latin American countries have a festival of lovers, coincidentally with the Feast of St. Valentine. And urban Europe, of course, resembles the United States with the same rituals of buying cards, flowers, and candles. So here we have it. It's a big deal. An international days of tokens of affection. Could be good. Could be. And could be uh, problematic. Depends on your intent. Millions of dollars spent on celebrating a romance and wishing for a romance and hoping for a romance. And some people never get cards. All on the occasion of what's called a minor saint. My research into the real Saint Valentine yielded what's called not much information. <laughs> Mostly folk tales and what they call oral tradition. He was executed by the Roman authorities. You may have heard that. And based on all the accounts, he was executed by the Roman authorities for what we don't know for what crime. Apparently for being a priest. In a time when Christianity was technically legal. It was after that, you know, that time when all those martyrs happened, so I don't know what for what. So it just shows to show emperors are fickle. And don't bet your life on one. The point is, however, that Father Valentine, or Presbyter Valentine, as they say in Latin, didn't start any traditions. Nothing indicates he was a big booster of greeting cards, roses, or candy. In fact, the kind of love that Valentine stood for would have been much more like what we call standing on the side of love. He would. Looking at what he did and what his community was doing, I would be so bold as to say love meant things like building hospitals, comforting the homebound, building homeless shelters, comforting widows and orphans and providing material support. We have no writings of Valentine. We simply have observations. We just look at what, what the community was doing and what they were writing about the community. And we look at the com what the community was involved in, and based on the fact that he was a leader of those communities, I conclude that his understanding of love meant love is concrete caring for the marginalized, embodied good intention, real-world actions to make people's lives better. 
real-world action to make people's lives better. Such a concept of love is ancient, in fact, and shared by many religious traditions, and many secular ones as well. Many cultures understand love as caring, taking care of the marginalized. Our religious tradition, Unitarian Universalism, was formed and energized by the powerful faith that God is love and that love is transformative and will overcome all divisions, all brokenness, all hatred. While Unitarians and Universalists differed on the details, they shared an understanding of the saving work of love that would unfold upon this earth if only we went out and witnessed to it. And the point of religion, the point of religion was to put heaven into human beings, to make all people holy, in other words, to make people more loving, to realize human potential, to build the kingdom of God on earth. The message that was preached and taught by Unitarian Universalists for generation is that we, we are called to forgive ourselves and each other and to begin again in love. That whatever brokenness, whatever alienation, whatever separation, whatever anger, whatever conflict, bigotry, exploitation, oppression, violence, can over, be overcome, be overcome by the power of love. And that we could embody love and make it a powerful force for healing and justice in the world. And that as human beings, we are hardwired with the potential for love. Two months ago, I shared a sermon with you. It was called, Have a Merry Unitarian Universalist Christmas. And I argued that Unitarian Universalists have contributed to a redefinition of Christmas. And that before Dickens and Sears and Longfellow and Dixon, thousands of others, Christmas was seen as a celebration of the Savior God as well as an opportunity for winter reverie. And that Unitarian Universalists emphasize themes of peace on earth and doing special outreach for the hospitalized and impoverished children and emphasizing the transforming power of love. And I wondered, I wonder now, if we might apply that same idea to St. Valentine's Day, to the idea that perhaps we could go beyond simple commercialization to making Valentine's Day something transformative, making this day a, a day of caring love. The Unitarian Universalist Standing on the Side of Love campaign has called on congregations across the country to celebrate 30 days of love, emphasizing justice issues, overcoming divisions, multicultural witness, and interfaith outreach. And beginning with Martin Luther King's birthday and concluding on Valentine's Day, congregations across the country are celebrating acts of love, acts of justice making, presenting to heroic people in the community their courageous love award. At First Parish, we have embraced this initiative. Last year, this year, we were thrilled to be able to present our award to Mona and Sebastian, thank you, thank you, who by taking a personal stand against Islamophobia, against division and demagogy, 
inspired many people, many people that you haven't met just by reading about what you did. Last week, our congregation visited with Y2Y. The youth shelter organized right in this building by Harvard's Philip Brooks House and hosted by First Parish in space right, right below where you're sitting. Homeless youth experience, experience concrete support right here since the grand opening only six weeks ago. Youth have experienced real connection, healthcare, and help in finding housing. Think of that. Through the Greater Boston Interfaith Organization, members in this congregation participated in an interfaith breaking of the fast dinner hosted by the Islamic Society of Boston. This is a work that is concrete, it's real. Here members are able to engage in deep listening, sharing personal stories about what it felt like to be the other when, we, when they made somebody else feel like the other at that dinner, they, members of the congregation did that. First parish members have experienced when they, when they stand on the side of transformative love, we make a difference in the world and to the world. When we inspire love in the world, we inspire courage, we empower ourselves and each other. And we participate in overcoming fear. Fear is that root emotion that gives rise to so many forms of hatred and division. Phobias. You've heard of phobias. Fears. Homophobia, xenophobia, Islamophobia, androphobia, gynophobia, that's fear of men and fear of women. Philophobia, fear of love. Imagine that. The list of phobias, I looked up a list, there was a list of phobias, that was, and there were almost over a hundred phobias, and I said, my goodness. I can't read all the phobias that you could. But all of those phobias, every single phobia is haunting. All of them are destructive. All of them making us less than we can be. Think of that. And that human beings are haunted by fears and phobias and angers, and we say, we say that love is an antidote to fear. If you, you, I'm, we've all heard that, and it's not just pop psychology. One can observe it in human practice. We instinctively gather around those who are going through a hard time. We instinctively do that. We seek solidarity when we ourselves are facing a challenge. We do that because we know love is an antidote to fear. I think many of us know what John Lennon meant when he wrote, there are two basic motivating fears, fear and love. I'm gonna read that again. There are two basic motivating forces, fear and love. And when we are afraid, when we are afraid, we pull back from life. When we are in love, we open up to all that life has to offer with a certain passion excitement and, ex and acceptance. We learn to, to love ourselves first in all our glory, in all our imperfections. If we cannot accept ourselves just as we are, 
love ourselves, we cannot fully open ourselves to our ability to love others, to our potential to create. Evolution and all hopes for a better life rest with fearlessness and open-hearted vision of people who embrace life. Embrace life. Courageous love. Love that accepts our vulnerable selves. Love that reaches out. Love that embraces the possibility. Love that overcomes fear. <laughs>